Have you ever resisted something that was good or even good for you uh, that eventually someone convinced you to try? And I don't mean like high school peer pressure, bad things or anything like that. I mean like, like let's say a food. Is there a food that you thought for sure is going to be gross? I don't even want to, uh, just the look of it, the sound of it, something like that. And so you steered clear and then finally you gave in and tried it and thought, this ain't half bad. I, uh, I did that with Almond Joy recently. I just thought, ooh, the coconut, I'm just not, not going to be a fan of that. And Abby's been eating them forever and talking about how good they are. And I just thought, no, I'm not going to try it. And then recently I tried one. They're delightful. Had no idea. And now I'm kicking myself thinking all these years I've been depriving myself of Almond Joy. Why would I do that to myself? And there's things that we do like that. I don't know what yours are. If you're watching online and there is a food that you can think of that you resisted for a long time and then tried and liked it, let us know in the comments. I am curious about some of those things. But we do things like that. We resist things because we don't think we'd like it or we don't think we'd need it, when in reality it's really maybe good or even good for us. Uh, our family, we have a, a new baby in our family, not Abby and I. So you're like, wait, wait, it's only been six months. We haven't seen you in a while. But uh, no, our, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law had a baby about three months ago. Her name's Callie. And now, something to know about me is I love babies. I've always just liked babies. They're cute. Who can't? I mean, why wouldn't you like a baby, right? Um, and I've gotten three humans through that stage of life, so I know how to take care of them and feed them and clothe them and bathe them. And for the most part, I can get them to sleep. I can do those things, right? So I like babies. So we got this cute little baby, and, you know, she gets all kinds of attention when she's at our house, and the kids are all in there. Um, but one thing that's interesting about babies is that... It, with the exception of my three kids, babies don't like me back, like at all. I don't know if it's the bald head. I don't know if it's the beard. I don't know if it's my breath. I don't know if I should take it personal. I don't know. They don't like me at all. And so, you know, my kids will be talking to Callie, and she'll be smiling and cooing and stuff, you know. And then I'm like, oh, she's in a good mood. I want to go talk to her. And I'll kind of pop my head into her field of view, and immediately her expression goes from happy to concerned, and her eyebrows kind of like get real furrowed and and she looks at me like I'm getting ready to steal her purse or something like that, you know, like she's real suspicious of me and doesn't know what to think. And then after about 30 seconds of that, then like the lip comes out and starts shaking. And then you hear the, <laughs> and she cries almost every time. And it's like, come on, little girl. I like, I want the best for you. Like, I want to keep you happy. I want you to be fed. I want you to have dry diapers. Like, I'm here for you. Like, I like you. Why won't you like me? But I will persist until I am her favorite uncle. And I will endure until she likes me and, nay, loves me. And, and, but that's one of the frustrating things about us is that sometimes we're, like, apprehensive of things that really are good for us. Like, maybe you're the kind of person who resists going uh, to the doctor for your yearly physical. And you think, no, I don't feel comfortable going to, maybe hospitals weird you out. Maybe it's doctor's offices. Maybe you just have, are the kind of person that if you go to the doctor, you're afraid they might find something. And if you don't ever go, then they can't find it, and you'll be healthy forever, right? That's the logic that some of us have. I've had that thought process before. And so we avoid, right, of these things. But what's silly is that when you finally give in and you try this thing or, in, or go to this thing or whatever, participate in this thing that you've resisted, you look back at your resistance as so silly and it's sometimes so foolish because you think, why did I do that? Why did I deprive myself? Or even more, why did I hurt myself by not enjoying this, by not doing this thing sooner. Well, one thing that's not hard to notice in our society is that over the last number of years, we have become increasingly more isolated. The way I like to say it is we're less and less 
front porch people, and we are more and more of fenced-in backyard people. And we don't want people, we don't, we're not opening, you know, someone walking by and talking to us. We, we, we get weirded out now when the doorbell rings and we didn't have somebody let us know they were coming over. We're like, oh, who is it? You know, we get weird when our phones ring anymore. So somebody's going to sell you an extended warranty for your car. We get all worried about that stuff. So we're getting so much more isolated. And that has, I think, bled over into how we look at church. More specifically, not just coming to church, but the people in our church and our church family. And, you know, it's becoming more common for people to say, I just, I just don't know very many people at church. I don't, I don't, I know a few names, I, but there's a lot of people I don't know. There's a lot of faces I don't recognize. Or, you know, you might have a small group of people that you know. But for the most part, we don't have a ton of deep, meaningful relationships with a, a significant number of people in our church families. And, you know, I've often wondered, as we were doing online for the last six months, how many people went from just seeing faces that they didn't know to seeing names in the chat that they didn't know. And it's like, well, if you, we could do a better job of matching those names and faces, maybe a lot of people would be like, oh, good, I get it. I get a lot more people now. But, but one thing that's weird is, you know, as limited as we've become, or, or not limited, but just our lives are so full, and as we've maybe engaged with people at church less and less, a lot of us would probably say that we're okay with that. Because we do have full lives. We got friends already. We got family members. We got things to do. We got busy schedules. And we're not really looking to invite more in. And we kind of are a little bit more resistant to that. We don't necessarily put forth effort to invite church family outside of Sunday morning into our normal Monday through Saturday lives. And I've talked about this a ton in sermons over the years about groups and relationships. I've even tried to really be intentional and call, not call us church but call us a church family to emphasize that relational dynamic that's supposed to exist here um but but i think we can hear that kind of stuff and just think that's for somebody else yeah i'm sure anthony's talking to somebody who needs to hear that but i got my life's full i got all that stuff and i don't need relationships because you know i just don't feel the need for it at all but here's the thing just because you don't feel the need doesn't mean that you don't need it not every need in your life is something that is painfully felt. Like if you skip a meal and you start feeling the rumbling in your stomach, you think, oh, I need to eat. Well, not every need presents itself in that way. Um, for instance, I, am, I would consider myself a pretty solid introvert, which a lot of people think, oh, you hate people. No, that's not what that means. It just means that the way I kind of recharge my batteries is when I can either get alone by myself or if I can maybe get into a situation that where I'm in my comfort zone and I can just kind of sit and relax and, and kind of recharge that way. So it's not that I don't like people. It's just that when I'm around people, that's, that tends to be something that uses energy more than gives it to me. Extroverts are the opposite. My wife is the opposite. What's been interesting is about like two months into this whole pandemic, some of you were like losing your minds thinking, I got to get out of my house. And I was like, I don't really mind this. This isn't too bad. I'm getting told to stay home. I wanted to stay home anyway. Like, that's just kind of how my brain works. And some of you are introverts are like, yes, that's my heart. But, but that's just how some of us are. But because I'm an introvert, what that means is that I rarely get lonely. I rarely feel the need to invite people into my life. But that, again, that doesn't mean that I don't need more people. That doesn't mean that I don't need good, solid friendships. It doesn't mean that I can't benefit from kindness, from knowing other people intimately and, and being known intimately by other people. And I'm kind of the poster child for this idea that sometimes I'm resistant to something that's good for me. 
And when it comes to this idea of relationships, I am the kind of person that is resistant to more in my life. And yet, I desperately need that, even though I don't always feel the need for it. Now, as we get into our passage today, uh, we're going to um, be looking in an exact situation where someone does the exact right thing, a Christian does the exact right thing in terms of Christian hospitality, showing hospitality, and inviting other people into their lives and trying to bless them in that way. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. I would say get, grab a Bible, um, but the best thing you can do if you're in person is get on your phone. If you're, you can actually grab a Bible more easily if you're watching online than you can in our building right now. Um, so if you want to follow online on your phone, a follow along, excuse me, on a Bible app on your phone, you can do that. The verses will also be on the screen here. Now, a little backstory. A little back. Oh, come on. This worked for the first service, and it's not going to work for this one. Man, technology is just not my friend. Kara, if you unplug the USB cable on the back of that and plug it back in, um, or Abby can, it doesn't matter either way. It'll get me going here. But what you're going to notice here is there's... Um, there's a lot of talk of like different towns and stuff. And the reason for that is because there's going to be a quiz after the service and you all need to memorize where these are on a map and be able to pinpoint them. No, the reason for that is because in this part of the story, the Apostle Paul, what he does, he's this, he's this guy that, that God kind of called and said, you're going to travel all around the Roman world. See, look, you got me going. Ta-da. He's going to travel all around the Roman world, and, he, and he's going to plant churches and preach about Jesus. And so he took several different little trips to different parts of the Roman world, planting churches and preaching about Jesus. And so when, you, when we start into this, uh, there's all this talk of different towns and moving. That's just because he's traveling, okay? So you don't need to remember any of these town names at all, because um, most of them don't have any real significance to the story. So he says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. If there was any of these that you wanted to hang on to, Philippi would be a good one. It, is a, it does have a significant part in the Bible story, biblical story. The Apostle Paul actually forms a very unique and special relationship with the church that's going to be planted here. Um, so he lands in Philippi, or stops moving it around in Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, um, so he goes to Philippi to tell people about Jesus, and Paul had a very typical kind of habit, procedure that he did this. So what he would always, almost, almost always do is he would go to town and he would try to preach to the Jewish people, typically at a synagogue. Um, in Israel, they had the temple, which is where God was, or people were supposed to go and encounter God. But for the Jewish people who didn't live in, Israel, or live in Jerusalem, they would set up these little synagogues that would be kind of like a church where they would go and worship God and sing their songs and they would carry out the Jewish uh, the commands in the Jewish law and they would you know, study scripture, all that stuff. Um, and if the Jewish people, though, didn't react well to being preached, to hearing the message of Jesus, then Paul would say, okay, I'm going to go to the non-Jewish people. So Paul goes to Philippi to do what he always did, preach to the Jewish people. But at this point in time, there's no synagogue in Philippi, from what we can tell. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, it obviously means there weren't enough Jewish people in Philippi, for one, because it took 10 heads of Jewish families to start and have a synagogue. That's what those were the rules. Um, but the more likely explanation was, around this time, the emperor of Rome was a guy named Claudius. 
And Claudius uh, did not love Jewish people. And so he issued, the, issued this edict to boot out all the Jewish people from Rome, which would have been hard to do. The empire was huge. But what, basically what that meant was all the Jewish people left the major Roman cities. Anything that was considered a Roman colony, they would have carried out this edict. And so the Jews had most likely just left for the countryside or smaller villages where they wouldn't be persecuted under this edict. And so there's no synagogue. So what does Paul do? When there was no synagogue in a town, the Jewish people would find the nearest body of water where they could use uh, to carry out the many ceremonial washings of, uh, of the, the law. And so that's what they did. They went outside, found this river, and that's where they met on the Sabbath day to conduct their worship since they did not have a synagogue. And so Paul goes out, and he's preaching to these people, who, these Jewish people, or hoping to find Jewish people. He says he's just supposed that he might come across some Jewish people. So he goes out there, and he starts preaching. And it says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Boy, this is like a geography lesson, isn't it? From Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, one thing we don't know is, did he just preach to the, this one time, or was this kind of over a series of weeks, a series of days, did he meet with these people and teach about Jesus? We don't really know. It's a little unclear. Um, this could just be um, the guy who wrote this book telling a kind of a condensed version of the story. But either way, when Paul preached, there were people who were eager to hear the story of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit opened their hearts to be excited about the salvation that came through him. And so Lydia was one of those people. And she believed in Jesus and gave her life to him. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to stay at my house. Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She prevailed upon us. So she becomes a Christian. She looks at these guys and says, I have a place to stay. You're new in town. Why don't you come and stay? at my house. And we learn from what she did. Since she sold purple goods, all you got to know about that is that it meant she was probably pretty well off. So she had the place to stay with extra rooms, and she had the food to give out, right? And so she had the resources to bless people. And here she is as a Christian, a new Christian, saying, I just want to bless people. I want to open my home. I don't want to invite you into my life. I want, I want to know more about Jesus, and I want you to help me grow in my faith. And she's doing all the right things. And what we can learn from the language here is that, she, is that Paul and his traveling companions said no, because it said she urged them to come and stay at her house. Not that she invited, but she urged them. To urge someone means she invited, and they said no, and she said, no, come on. Like, I've had that happen to me before. Have you ever had somebody like, hey, we should go to lunch together? And you're like, ah, maybe, I don't want to impose coming to your house. You're probably busy and got a lot going on. They go, no, you're coming to my house. I'm feeding you. I was just being nice about it. You don't have a choice. You know, have you ever had somebody come and kind of invite you that way and, and have you to come over to their place? I've experienced that. Now, you might say, why wouldn't Paul want to go? Well, just like we have televangelists in our society who maybe have a little bit of a uh, you know, we're skeptical of a lot of televangelists because some of them come across like they're just using Jesus and the church to, to load their pockets, right? That, kind, that game, that's not a new game just because television came around. People have been doing stuff like that for, for centuries. And so there would be these traveling mystics and teachers who would go around and try to get people to give them money for this cause and that cause. And then they just kind of hightail it out of town and have all everybody's money. And so what Paul would do is he did not want anything to come in the way of, of people hearing about and putting their faith in Jesus. And so Paul would take care of himself. He would 
earn his way. He wouldn't take money from people and would not take help from people. And it was just because he wanted to maintain the, the, the message of Jesus and not let anything kind of tarnish that. But here what happens is Lydia generously and, and almost forcibly shows him hospitality. I mean, she did everything but get these guys in a headlock, from what we can tell. It says she prevailed upon us, meaning we said no a lot, and she just wouldn't drop it. And so she starts showing them hospitality. And what we see from this point on is that Paul and this church in Philippi had this very beautiful relationship that was unique to every other church that he had began. And they were the only church that we know of that significantly supported Paul for a long term with care, with prayer, and with hospitality. And and uh, monetarily, excuse me. And so, so Paul refuses to go for his normal reasons. And, and we don't know what it was about Lydia that made her be so strong. Maybe something Paul said about Jesus. Maybe it was the, the Jewish faith she already had. Maybe it was something in the Holy Spirit just kind of nudging her and tugging her to be kind and, and overflowing that way with, her, with her, um, her hospitality. But either way, what she does here is the exact right thing that Christians are supposed to do. Because hospitality is one of those key traits that is mentioned over and over again in the New Testament, that we as Christians are meant to have our lives open to one another, to share and to love, not just with our conversations at church, but, but with actual, actual care, actual, come into my home, let me feed you, let's take care of you, let's know each other, let's spend time together. And they were meant to do that. And that's something that is less and less common in church anymore. And, and we just do that in society. Like I said, we're, we're getting more isolated. And so one thing that we, we kind of do is we will, like, shield ourselves from other people. And we'll stay in kind of our own little isolated bubble. And we'll do that sometimes through things that we've considered just normal, everyday pleasantries. Like if someone, you come to church, how you doing? Fine. Fine means don't ask me about anything else. That I've said I'm fine. That's all you need to know. Sure, I might be, you know, dying inside, but I'm fine, so don't ask me about it. Sure, I might be overcome with anxiety and depression, but I'm fine, so you stay out of my bubble. Don't ask me about my problems, and I won't ask you about yours as long as you say fine. And that's just kind of how we, that's how we go. I was reading, I've been reading several articles lately about things people in other countries find weird about Americans, and that's like number one. The fact that when we say, how are you doing, that we don't really want to know, and we don't really want to talk about it. How you doing? Fine. What do you know? Fine. Like, we don't even answer the question right. Have you ever noticed that? What do you know? Fine. And we just go on like that's okay, because we know that neither one of us in that interaction really wanted to interact. We were just being polite. That's kind of a way that we shield ourselves from actually having conversations with each other. And Christianity and relationships within the church weren't supposed to operate that way. That's not the way it was meant to be. And so Lydia picked up on that, and so she pushed her hospitality and pushed for it because that was the right thing to do. And so, like I said, this shows up over and over again in the New Testament, that hospitality was meant to be a part of our faith. In fact, Paul, uh, when he writes a letter to the church in Rome, uh, he, he writes this section in Romans chapter 12 where he gives um, kind of a list of just basic traits that all Christians should have. And in this list, he says that, you know, things like Christians should live at peace with one another. Uh, Christians should be humble. Christians shouldn't seek revenge. Christians should run towards things that are good and, and just kind of flee from things that are bad. And in the middle of this list of things that, you know, traits that Christians should have, here's what he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints to other Christians, and seek to show hospitality. We were meant to show 
hospitality to one another. Christians were meant to open our homes, open our lives. We were meant to make room in our busyness. And one of the things, you know, we, like I said, we're okay with not adding more people and stuff to our lives because we just kind of feel like we've got enough going on anyway. And so we say, nah, I don't need more people. I don't need more things. I don't need extra events going on in our lives. I don't need more to do. But in our increasingly disconnected society, we need more and more of this, especially with our church family. We need more and more hospitality. We need to break out of these little bubbles that we like to find ourselves in and invite more and more people into our lives. And I think we've got to fight against this cultural push to, of you know, independence and I'm fine just by me. I don't need anybody else. Um, and I think ultimately <clears throat> this push, if I look at like reasons why, because again, I'm an introvert and I don't feel the need for people and I'm okay being by myself and doing my own thing. If I look at the reasons why I feel that way, it's selfish. It's because I want to be comfortable and that's what's comfortable to me. It's because I want to just do my own thing and not have my plans interrupted by other people. It's just nothing more than selfishness. And we've got to fight against those sorts of things. In fact, <laughs> Uh, one of the other apostles, Peter, who was Jesus' right-hand man during his earthly ministry, uh, Peter wrote a verse about hospitality that I think was written straight at me. In one of the letters that Peter wrote, we call it 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 9, he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And here's the thing. If you know my wife, she's very hospitable, always inviting people in, and I'm always grumbling about it. You don't see that part, but I always am. Um, you know, Abby is always, like, trying to give something away. She's always trying to be generous and kind, and she's always just, just really being an outgoing person, whether it's with, you know, inviting people over, sharing food, taking meals to people, uh, being generous, trying to help somebody with, spend money, get to buy somebody something or something like that. And I'm always upset about it because my two person traits, aside from being an introvert who just wants to be left alone, I am also a nerd who likes to budget and save. And so the two things she's doing which is inviting people in and giving away money are the two things that drive me the most nuts most of the time. And so she's kind of like trying to drag me outside of my little curmudgeon bubble, and it's the best thing for me. It's absolutely good for me that I need that in my life. And so as she does things, and she, you know, she was like, hey, what if we had people over? And it's like, oh, what if we didn't, you know? And, excuse me, and we'll do something like, um, one thing I really like is we'll make pulled pork. And so we'll have a big old huge batch of pulled pork. And her thought process is, we have so much pulled pork, we should invite people over to help us eat it. My thought process is, yes, I get to eat pulled pork for two weeks. And so she's like, what if we had people over? And I'm like, no, you always do this. I get so excited about how I get to eat all this pulled pork, and then you give it all away, and I get like one meal of it. Man, and so, like, I read this verse, and it was like, this is, that's like most of what I do is I grumble about it. I'm such a grump, right? Such a curmudgeon. And so I laughed when I came across this. But the fact that I don't feel the need for that stuff, to have people around, and the fact that I don't naturally come across as hospitable, that doesn't mean that I don't need those things. It doesn't mean that I don't benefit from having people in my life. Uh, one of the ways this has been an amazing blessing for us, or people have been an amazing blessing for us, is uh, for, I don't know how many years now, but we've been in a growth group. We've had, I don't know, has it been five years? Six years? Maybe? Uh, we, we, lost, we stopped counting how many years it's been, and we count it by how many babies ago it was, because we have, like, so many kids in our group. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. But, that, I mean, that has been such a blessing to me to have this group of people from our church that we regularly meet with, people that... Um, you know, we, we talk about scripture and 
you know, we'll, sh- we'll share ideas and ask questions and we'll dive deep on it. And people will say things that make me go, oh, I never thought of that before. And change my view on scripture and make me grow and take me deeper. We'll pray for one another. Not just say, I'll pray for you, but we actually in that moment, we bow our heads and we pray for what's going on in each other's lives. Uh, we, we laugh together. We eat good food, all my good food. And then, um, but one important side benefit that I thought of as I was writing this was um, all of our kids, because there's a ton of them, um, they actually get to see their parents taking time on a weekly basis or whenever we can get together lately to invest in their faith. Now, they don't get that yet because when we have groups, they're like, yes, I get to see my friends and go crazy and run around and ruin your lesson. That's kind of what they think of and get excited about. But at some point, whether they realize it or not, they are being uh, shown mom and dad and other moms and dads taking time out of their weeks to invest in their faith and to invest in one another. And that's going to be a huge blessing, I think, that reaps dividends for them in the future. And it has been an amazing experience and one that I honestly did not want. I never felt the need to get into a group. Now, again, I'm a minister, and I know the Bible talks about relationships and that we need relationships in the church family. But for some reason, I just thought, I got enough going on. I Surely I know people. I know everybody in the church that comes in. So I, I got enough of that. And so I had to be urged into this, nudged into this, um, what, what, what did it say? Prevailed. Lydia prevailed. Somebody had to prevail upon me for this. And so it's so incredibly silly how somebody who knows better resisted something that is good for them, was good for them. And, and so we in the church, we need people like Lydia who are overwhelmingly, sometimes irresistibly hospitable. And those of us who tend to be more drawn to isolation, more drawn to saying, I don't need any more, we got to relax that. We've got to open up and know and acknowledge that we might not feel the need, but that does not mean, mean that the need is not there. And so my personal opinion is that we have to figure out ways to take relationships with the people that we come across in our church family and take that beyond Sunday morning. We've got to. And, and that's not just the extroverts, but I think anybody, we all need these relationships with one another, even the introverts as well. And it's, it's not the fact that we need relationships. I mean, everybody alive has, can figure out that God made us to need other people. That's just, we're drawn to relationship. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What we specifically need is relationships with Jesus at the center. We need relationships with other people who are going to pray for us, who are going to encourage us when we fail, love us still when we fail, people who are going to ask us how we're doing and expect us to give an honest answer, not just say, fine, things are good, even though I'm dying inside. People who are going to pry a little bit and expect more from us. We need those kinds of relationships with people who are going to help us keep our eyes on Jesus. And I think not enough of us have that. And I think, honestly, it's more important than ever that we try to have that because what I think most of us are going to discover is that coming here on a Sunday morning, at least the way we're doing it now, it's not going to feel the same. If we've been wanting that relational aspect of church, I think there's going to be a part of that right now that feels like this just doesn't quite add up because of all the social distancing and like we can't shake hands, we can't hug. We've had to, unfortunately, get rid of a lot of the hangout and chat time. I mean, all, all of that stuff that we're missing, boys, my children are being loud if you're on the live stream, my rowdy children. It's, you know, preacher's kids are notorious anyway, and when you haven't been in church for six months, it's, it's all, all bets are off maybe. But anyway, but we need more of that because when we come here, uh, I've had people who have, you know, 
gone to the churches, some churches that have been meeting, one of my mom's friends actually just said, it just doesn't feel like I thought it would. I can't talk to the people. I can't hug the people I want to hug. I can't love the people I want to love on and, and bless them. There's just something about it. It feels a little too sterile and, and not as warm and inviting. And I think we need to make room in the rest of our lives for us to have the relationships that we are supposed to have in Christ. That's how he wanted his church to be. And so my encouragement, my nudge for you would be to find ways to invite people from Sunday morning, from people from your church family into your Monday through Saturday life. One way you can do that is with groups. That's one thing that we've been doing. And again, I can't say enough about how blessed we've been by that. Um, if you want to be in a group, um, you can go to our website, loamicc.com slash groups. There's a form you fill out. You fill it out. And we'll try to find uh, a group to get you in. Now, one thing, um, we, we don't have a lot of groups right now because uh, 2020 decided to bless us with its presence and put a stop to a lot of things, but we want to, to get more of that going and get more people into groups. And so the more people that are open to being in groups, the easier it is is going to be to put groups together. Some of you are hospitable, and you're more than fine to welcome people into your home. Some of you could probably even be really good leaders of your group, and you might think, oh, I could never lead a group. Trust me, anybody could be better than me. That is not my gift set. I can get up here and talk to a room of people, but getting down and trying to lead a discussion with a million kids screaming over me, I just can't keep my thoughts about me. And if you don't, you can have a group where you don't have a million kids. I mean, we're glad to have them. It's just rowdy, and it's a little bit uh, of, a, of a, what's the word? An opportunity to show grace and mercy in those moments. Um, an opportunity. And so, so, but, but. Some of you would be a way better group leader than I am, and I'm willing to help train and provide all the resources that you might need for that. And so you can just go to our website, loemicc.com slash groups, and, that would, uh, and we can help find you in a group. But what, we, but what we need to do is we need to be willing to break out of this normal push toward isolation. We need to be able to um, be less and less shut in, fenced in backyard people, and maybe move to this more front, front porch people like uh, we're, like things used to be where our, our lives are open and we're willing to have relationships and show kindness and hospitality with one another, especially the people in our church family. We have to make room in our busy lives for people, for faith-filled relationships. Jesus wanted his church not to be people who didn't know each other, not to be people who just happened to be in the same spot or watching on the same um, internet address one hour a week. He wanted us to be people who actually knew each other loved each other, and cared about each other. That's why hospitality is such a huge deal, so that the church would always be a place where people are welcomed and invited in, not just to a service or a building, but into each other's lives. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, not just for the life that we have through you and the relationship that we have with you through Jesus, but we are thankful for the relationships we have with one another in our church family. I pray that you would fill us with a hunger for, to know each other more, for more uh, relationships. And, and sometimes, you know, that idea of talking about deep relationships and words like, you know, vulnerability and, and being open to growth and having people pray for the real things that are going on in our lives, sometimes we don't, we're resistant to those things. We're just, we, we feel like we don't need that or, or sometimes even want that, but that doesn't mean that you haven't made us to need it, and it doesn't mean that that's not something you want to be a part of your church. And so I pray that, Father, as we figure out what life looks like 
going forward, as we figure out what church looks like going forward, I pray, Father, that you would help us to be people who are open to, to inviting one another into our lives and going out of our way to share hospitality with one another so that we can know and be known. And that maybe some of us are going to have to be a little persistent and urge like Lydia did, but I pray that we can see somebody who modeled hospitality well in, in her example and that we would want to follow in her footsteps. And that maybe some of us who maybe relate more with Paul and his resistance to that, we would just relax a little bit and know that we need hospitality in our lives and we need you to bless us and we need you to take care of us and you do that with the church family. And so I pray, Father, that we would be a people who know that we don't just need Jesus, but we need his body, the church family as well. And so bless this new frontier that we're on this time when we're both physical and digital doing church. I thank you for everybody that came today. I thank you for everyone who's been watching online. I thank you for the hiccups and the mistakes and the, the learning moments that we have. I thank you for the honesty and the real, um, the real value of what we get to do and, and that we're, we're honest and we're, we're figuring this out and we're learning as we go and, and um, we get to be authentic as we kind of stumble along and we learn this kind of new reality for our world and for your church. But I pray that in all things we're obedient. I pray that in all things we preach Jesus and I pray that in all things we make much of you because we're not here for our entertainment. We're not here for our pleasure. We are here because you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross and you loved us enough to rescue us from our sin and you want us to have a relationship with you and others so that we can share Christ with our world. And I pray that we would be eager to do that each and every day. So thank you for this church family. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for the mission that he's given us. May we take it seriously each and every day. It's in his wonderful name we pray.